Hey, 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 good morning, good afternoon, and of course, good evening. I hope you're having a fantastic day, and have you had a cheeseburger today? Well, the reason I'm asking that is, of course, when you go someplace and you get a cheeseburger, or you get fish and chips, or you, I know that seems going to sound funny about fish and chips, but you order something and they say, would you like fries or tots with that? That's a no-brainer, right? Tater tots. Who doesn't love tater tots? So today, I have a very special, we'll make that two very special guests. And that is Steve and Leslie Gregg. So they are direct descendants of the founders, the inventors of the tater tots and the Orida brand. Well, what we're going to talk about today is the history of tater tots and how it really came about, as well as why we're doing this right now so the greg family wants to preserve you know the family history the lineage of where tater tots came from and the name orida and everything so we're going to learn a lot about that in fact i was told by some people that you know tater tots had something to do with seattle or seattle had something to do with tater tots so i asked both steve and leslie i said is that true you're going to find out if it is or isn't so stick around and as always Thanks for watching and listening to this podcast. Let's get into it. To me, I'm still in the advertising arena. Okay. Advertising and marketing, and I just uh, work as a contractor from home. Oh, Leslie, what do you do now? <laughs> well, I retired in April... Uh, for the sole purpose of uh, starting and running the Greg Legacy Tater Tot Foundation. And uh, I just retired with uh, 45 years as a financial advisor, financial planner, stockbroker. I wore about five different hats in my career. Um, but anyway, 45 years as a financial advisor. Wow. Well, you know, the nice thing is all three of us are working from home now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, know. I, I, my <laughs> first passion was the stock market, and then I discovered I need to I need to adopt my family legacy of my first passion. So that's my career choice career going forward. Yeah, you know this is a perfect jumping board to get right into our discussion today of <laughs> of the Greg family and Orida and how everything got started and why you want to carry on this legacy. And I'd like to find out if there's from either one of you, you know, growing up and t and even now. There are challenges in doing most anything, and it takes uh, some courage, really, to take that risk to retire, to to pursue this passion, uh, to stay in the advertising marketing game with the ever changing, you know, platform of everything. Now you have folks saying, "Oh yeah, I could put that out for you in five minutes," and they go to Chat GPT or whatever it is. Here you go. Between Chat GPT and and. Photoshop, I'm I'm just about out of business. You know, we're gonna have to mess with that algorithm and just put in a whole lot of wrong data for it to uh, to yes. pick up, and then we'll say, oh, that's no, that's why you need human intervention. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Steve, can we start with you? Kind of just uh, starting off sure. with the uh, the the start of what well, it was. It wasn't Orida right off the beginning because you started off uh, your father, right? It was your father and... And uh, my uncle, so his brother. Like in 48 or 49 or something, they started off uh, sweet corn and then it eventually moved into Orida. So can you kind of touch on that a little bit? Well, they um, they are post-depression babies. They were post-depression babies and uh, uh, post-World War Two. Uh, uh, teenagers, and they um, they were just really, really poor. And so, being farmers, they knew how to farm. Mm -hmm. And it it was a little bit. I liken it to selling, you know, uh, I, 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 uh, refrigerators to Eskimos. They they were able to uh, they pick sweet corn at night when it was cool. The, the temperature, the local temperature, was very form uh, f what's the word very uh, f not crisp. formidable what's the word crisp 
Well, no, it was crisp, but it was it was very friendly to um, uh, crops, and so they would pick this sweet corn in the evening and, and keep it in ice water uh, mm. overnight, and then they would load it in a horse and buggy and take it around and sell it door to door. And, um, you know, that, that was quite a feat. And I think that as, uh, as young teenagers, they were quite, uh, <laughs> they didn't, they didn't, they had no fear is what I would say. And they just said, you know, we're going to do this and uh, here we go. And, you know, I remember, uh, one of the stories, uh, that my uncle golden. So Nephi is my father and golden is my uncle. So uh, Golden had gone up to the door to this lady and given her the sales pitch, and she bought some corn. And as he was walking away, she said, you know, I really don't need this corn, but that poor boy looked like he could use the money. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and we're talking about a small community and just, you know, they, don't, they didn't wear shoes. They had one pair of overalls, that kind of a thing. And so that's how it started, selling uh, sweet corn door to door. And as the more sweet corn they sold, the more the, the demand was. And it had something to do with, um, you know, being in the right place at the right time or yeah. just being uh, industrious enough to um, take that on. And so eventually they they had to contract with other local, with other farmers to harvest sweet corn from them at, at night and uh, put it in ice water and keep it till the next day. And that's how the sweet corn business uh, came into being. And they just called themselves Greek Brothers. And by, by 1949, they were, uh, they were transporting sweet corn from Ontario, Oregon, all the way to California on the south, up to Seattle on the north, and all the way into the Dakotas on the east. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, before we go any further, I, I need to ask because... I don't know, well, Orida came from because you're on the coast of Oregon and Idaho, right? Basically, the plant, is that how that the name came about? Yeah, Orida was the name. That wasn't until later and mm -hmm. when they, they uh, you know, the whole story, uh, they bought a, a defunct frozen foods processing plant that was in Ontario. And it was right on the river and it was right on the railroad. So it was the perfect location. But whoever uh, built it, what was it called? Bridgeford. Bridgeford. Mm. They didn't take into account the the local economy, the local populace, you know, the attitude of the people, and they did, it didn't it didn't last. And so they um, were able to get that at a banker's auction, um, but they couldn't do it by themselves. They didn't have the money. So they required uh, local other local businessmen, <clears throat> excuse me, and even farmers to go in with them to buy this, you know, buy this plant. And so very much a community community oriented uh, uh, process and success story. And so yeah. uh, go ahead. I was going to say, the reason I ask is, you know, I brought this up to a, a, a number of people because you see Orida brand out there and it's so familiar. Um, and I had mentioned Oregon, Idaho, and they're like, oh, no, they're, they're from Seattle. And I was trying to figure <laughs> out how in the world did they get that Orida is from Seattle? So I, I, I just quickly wanted to bring that up and ask, was there a certain tie very, very early on where it may have confused people in the northwest area? Um do you know, or or is that just because I, I'm asking the wrong people? I don't know. I've never heard that. I've never heard of being confused with Seattle. Um, I haven't read every article out there, but uh, no, it was always on the uh, Oregon Idaho uh, border. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, my dad just came up with Orida. He thought that was uh, just kind of a natural way to name it. Now, yeah, Ontario, Oregon is about ten miles from the border. Uh, between uh, Oregon and Idaho, it's a, uh, it's a uh, fact. You know, that whole area, there's about six communities, and there's uh, they all just consider themselves to be one community. They don't really identify them as which one's on the right or the left side of the state. No pun intended <laughs> on that one, right? <laughs> 
All right, all righty. That slogan came much later. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, it's, um, yeah, it's kind of fast forwarding on this because, like I said, 48, 49, uh, sweet corn, about 52-ish, the the Orida thing came in. But how, how, how did this... How did tater tots really come about? Uh, from sweet corn, potatoes? Well, Is it they, from scraps? And scraps of something? Yeah, so what happened was they're, they're first as, you know, they went through a naming, you know, a name evolution. Greg Brothers, okay. Greg Brothers mm-hmm. Produce. Um, let's help me out here. Some other, some other names. And eventually became Orida Foods. And the first product they... The first potato product they put out was uh, French fries. And, of course, uh, potatoes are round and French fries are square. And so they had these um, little shards, little slivers left over. And and they just, um, you know, the potatoes were a premium product of theirs. And those slivers were sold at a pittance uh, to feed one of the local farmers, uh, to sell, sold to one of the local farmers. To feed to his cattle. Incidentally, that that cattle farmer was an investor in Orida, but um, they wondered. The, the the Grigg brothers wondered, is there something better? You know, we're we're giving away prime potato product at a, you know, for for almost nothing, and so the idea came about. And there's really no um, documentation of someone said, let's do this. My, my father was quite gregarious and was the president of Orida and generally has been the face of Orida and and a lot of times gets the credit. But I can't really say that my dad did it or my uncle did it or whatever. But they decided that there might be a way to work with these. Could you um, chop them up, mix them with some spices? Uh, you know, and some cornstarch and a few other things. And at the time, convenience, so we're talking about the uh, sort of the early 50s, mid 50s, you know, convenience foods, like I said, after after World War II, um, I think the world was going through, <laughs> at least the United <laughs> States was, going through this sort of um, awakening of convenience. And they thought that there ought to be something they could do. And they came up with this idea to make a, a finger food like a french fry but only with those shards and they uh less referenced the holy you got a you got one there less so there's a replica of what they lovingly called the holy board <laughs> h-o-l-e-y and it had different size holes and they would make this mixture uh, they just kind of called it a glop and my uncle would, would shove it through one side and those little, you know, like Play-Doh, mm-hmm. and it would come out. My dad would cut them off, and then they would, they would, they would fry them up and taste them and make uh, adjustments to the recipe. But that prototype uh, holy board was how the that finger food, that convenience food, uh, came about. That's, you know, that that really is pretty amazing as far as taking, like you said, what would be junk or feed for whatever it might be, and then saying, hey. There's value in this, so. Yeah, I mean, in in one side of the plant, there are premium French fries, and the other side of the plant, it's cattle feed. There's got it. That's in you know, that's an inequity right there. And and what's more popular now? At least you know, for me, I, I'd say the tater tots has been out there for a long time. Very very popular with everyone. Yep. Well, you know, uh, a lot of people can make French fries. Um, in fact, uh, yeah. you know, J.R. Simplot and. You know, a lot of companies can make French fries. That's not a secret. But tater tots is only made in Ontario, Oregon. At least the Orida brand tater tot. Well, the Orida brand, excuse me. Thank you. Yes. The Orida brand is only made in in Oregon, Ontario, Oregon. One plant covers the whole distribution system. For the entire planet. Then and now. Yes. Correct. Correct. That's pretty darn amazing. That really is. Uh, I, do, do you do you know how many tons 
of tater tots are made annually or you know monthly or anything like that it's got to be I've seen some statistics but I'm I'm not sure there's you know there's a lot of um uh one off brands of of tater tots mm-hmm. um there's tater gems and about a, about a half a dozen different um names but the Orida brand if you look at carefully at the uh Orida trademark the word tater tots plural is the registered trademark okay. I, I would guess that they the world the the figures that i've seen somewhere around 70 million pounds we don't know if that 70 million pounds includes all of the one off brands or not i don't sure. know that you know, th- something that I want to ask you, to, uh, Steve, specifically since you're uh, marketing and advertising, I mean, this <laughs> logo and just the name and the way everything looks, I mean, it's pretty darn fantastic. It's so recognizable. Do, do you personally feel that that's something that would be brought up or designed today that would succeed if it came out today? I know this is off the wall question, but... It's it's hard to say. I will I will say, um, as a designer, a graphic designer, they stayed with some iteration of the Oregon Idaho logo for the last seventy years. You know, Tater Tots turned seventy this year, and ever since uh, Orida came into being, um, they've kept that logo, mm-hmm. and. I think keeping a logo intact over time is much better than updating it too much. You know, people get, consumers get skittish if things change too quickly or too drastically. Yeah. Uh, I remember um, my dad telling about the uh, local ad executives from the big metropolis of Boise, Idaho. I mean, that was a big city to us back then. The ad people came over and they had all of these designs. I don't. I wish I could get access to those, but they had some ideas and everything. And it probably started with that Oregon Idaho logo. And my dad reached. You know, he looked at all that and kind of scratched his head. You know how self-made men are. Self-made people, men and women are. They uh, want to c- control everything. And so he he reached into. He had a drawer full of crayons from when us kids came to visit and he pulled out and he said, well, and he started scribbling on there. He says, I, I like purple. How about purple and yellow? You know, those two colors really aren't very appetizing. <laughs> 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 I will say so, but that's how he did it. He just said, well, how about this? You know, how about we do like this? And they were all like, uh, well, yes, Mr. Greg, uh, certainly Mr. Greg. You know how admin <laughs> are. <There's- laughs> But what's interesting is that in the office building um, at the Orida plant in Ontario, the, the original office building, there's a, uh, an image, and we can send you that image, of the, the actual holy board that they had. Hmm. And then there's a little fan of crayons that my dad used to, to do that scribbling. And then, uh, you know, they sold Orida to... Heinz Corporation in 1965 and then they yeah. have a little pen little just a ballpoint pen that they used to ink the deal and so that that hangs in there as kind of a uh, of a memorial to that incident but, but but nobody knows that's there and it's it's very uh-huh. important that's kind of what Les has started is a way to make sure that the Grig name even though you know it's not Grig Tater tots, like it's Hershey candy bars, but uh, it's important that we keep the Grig name associated with Orada for our, um, and you know, for our uh, legacy. Yeah. Uh, before we jump into that, I, I want to ask something, and, and I will preface it by saying I apologize if it's too personal, and feel free not to answer this. But like I said, it was. Uh, Orida as the the brand was was sold to Heinz Heinz at that time now it's um, Kraft Heinz uh, <laughs> for like I think they said thirty million dollars um, <laughs> thereabouts. Uh-huh. Um, so 
Why am Sometimes I still working? You... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. That's probably too personal. I won't ask that. Um, you know, sometimes when money like that comes into family, there introduces greed. Was it difficult for, for your father and your uncle to really decide, you know what? Hey, we've got, we've got family here. What are we going to do with this? Let's, are we going to give a little here, give a little there? How, how well, did that happen? Well, so Les is my first cousin once removed. Okay. And so his grandfather is um, a brother to Golden and Nephi. And so, you know, being in, in the direct path of um, that $30 million, my father, I don't know what Golden did with his, with his share. Mm -hmm. I mean, remember, there was all those investors had to be repaid. Yes. Um, and so uh, my father uh, would, he hung on to that for a, quite a while. Uh, and then he, he didn't divvy it out to, I'm one of eight kids. And so um, he had, uh, the deal was for $30 million, but there was a lot of stock involved, a lot of hind mm -hmm. stock involved in that transaction. And so as the children, at least in my family, matured, uh, he would uh, gift stock options, you know, actual stock certificates to us. And the stock, you know, in the in the 80s uh, and the 90s and stuff, it was great stock. I mean, it paid dividends and it would split. And, and I just kind of hung on to mine. And yeah. that was my father's advice. He said, now, listen, don't play the market. Don't think you're going to get rich quick by selling your hinds and, and investing in some high-risk uh, situation. Les knows more about the, you know, that concept. So I hung on to mine, and uh, it, it would split and do things. And then as my kids went to school or when we needed a, a house or an education, uh, I would sell that and use it. So that's all, you know, for my share and for my family share, that's, uh, that's how we did it. Mm. Les, I like how you said, when we needed a house, we would, <laughs> how many do you have? No. <laughs> well, um, I feel like I could break in here. My dad was, uh, not only did my grandfather, my grandfather was the first production manager of Orida in 1952. Mm -hmm. He was also one of the investors in the original investors in Orida. He was one of the community people who helped start Orida just as an investor. Uh, my dad came along about 1959. He became a cost accountant for the corporation. And so um, 1952 all the way to 1959, Orida was really a family business. Uh, we had Golden and Nephi, who were brothers, then their sister Catherine, her husband Otis, uh, did, was, the, was the engineer for the corporation. He built all the equipment from scratch. And then my granddad, as I said, and, and I remember growing up, my grandfather would uh, always talk about the stock that he had from Orida, and that became his retirement for the rest of his life. And I, I'm hesitating because I'm trying to figure out how am I going to ask this and be uh, um, professional about it and, and um, correct. So you folks grew up as uh, LDS, right? Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. So do you feel that at that that time and even till today that there's more of a stronger community so people were willing to help each other to build something do you think that played anything into it because uh, it sounds like sure a... uh, it's an interesting question i don't know how much to ascribe to just the the local community mm -hmm. uh, the psychic that the local community has but also local community was a lot of lds people so there was really close social ties not only from the religious point of view but just from the tight-knit uh, community. Yeah. I just That's bring that correct. up yeah. because it's so important. And I think a lot of places and a lot of people have lost that sense of community. You know, even if you live in the community, it's, it's, people are so splintered. So I just, yes. that's why I was curious about that. Well, even though we're, you know, I'm in Salt Lake, Les is in Idaho Falls. Um, Three hours difference. And we're spread out, and we have this uh, uh, connecting technology. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you really can't beat a handshake or in-person meetings. And so <clears throat> back then, everything was done in person. Yeah. And you, you looked people in the eye and you did trend, you know, did your transactions and your farming and stuff like that. And everybody depended on everybody else. So there was no, um, as far as I can tell, there was no, you know, get rich, rape the land, make a profit and then bail. Uh, in fact, the, uh, part of the uh, documentation of the sale of Orrida was that the Orrida name would not pass from the town of Ontario. Unless there's a, there's a phrase for that. Do you remember what that legal in term perpetuity. is? In perpetuity. And so mm. even though uh, Orrida, food, Orrida Plant, Orrida Foods was owned by Heinz, and then as you mentioned, Chuck, Kraft Heinz, it's now owned by J.R. Simplot. Huh. But yet the Orrida name and the Orrida Plant remain as they were. And so that was kind of, that was another aspect of the legacy that the Greek brothers left for their little community. That's, I wish there's more of that going on. And which leads me to ask you, Les, is why such a strong pull or feeling or desire to um, turn this into a family legacy, uh, whether it be, you know, for yourself, uh, for you and Steve, or to, pass it along to your kids and then their kids? Is it just uh, to letting them know that there's history to the family name so um, there's a sense of importance or is there something else that really is driving you to do this? Well, one of the things is that Nephi and I are birthday buddies. We're both born on May 6th. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I, I grew up uh, basically grew up uh, we had a you know every year we had family reunions and um, my father and mother they were dedicated to going to the Grigg family reunion and I would go there and, and at least you know every other year or two Nephi would be there to tell stories and and I just loved his stories you know I mean, he would sit on the back of a chair and he would just tell stories and I can remember one one uh, event and and the story was told that he was in talking with uh, he was going into a meeting with some high-powered business people in a board meeting and he pulled up the chair turned the chair around leaned over the back of the chair and said oh hey let's talk business yeah and even though it was an aw shucks kind of approach uh he had a vision you know he had a vision of dealing directly with and looking with uh other businessmen and other uh possibilities and just look at them right in the eye. I remember in Ontario growing up at about the time of the sale, uh, the Heinz executives would fly from Pittsburgh out to Boise in their private plane called the Flying Pickle. <laughs> oh. And and it was a prop, you know, it wasn't a jet or anything, but it, it was a prop plane. And we got to go to, uh, to Boise and ride, you know, fly around for uh you know a half an hour in the flying pickle and man you know that was that was that was big to me here comes here comes the executives and their those businessmen in our backyard and he uh cooked them all a big steak we had a big steak fry in our backyard and they were all back there you know it's, it's just like a movie they took the coats off you know and ate sweet corn dripping with butter and salt and pepper and a big steak and that's that's how we did business. Wow. Um, now, were the two of you too young to work in the plant at all at any point in time? Whether you know during the time the Greg. Uh, what does this mean? Less is yeah. <laughs> less is like either don't say anything or no. no <laughs> or that, I want to tell that, it's. <laughs> I want to I want to chime in here. Um, so the Burley plant in 1959 they expanded in Burley, Idaho and build a new plant. Um, and um, that's where my father was hired. He became the cost accountant that built that plant. And so we moved to Burley. And in the fourth grade, my first real job was going out to the Burley plant every day with my mother. And we would stock the vending machine. In fact, we our basement was where we stored all the vending machine food. Oh. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> 
boy, I'd be snacking all the time. <laughs> I never worked. Uh, my um, my older, I have uh, five older sisters, and a lot of mm -hmm. them uh, worked not in the plant, but they had a concession stand, sort of there on the property when the and when the shifts were changed, they would be out there selling cold lemonade and, and candy bars and snacks oh. and stuff. And that's what they did, but I never got involved with that. It was only uh, later, um, every now and then, see, uh, Les mentioned the Burley plant, and he mentioned Otis Williams. Otis was um, my uncle-in-law, and, you know, he uh, modified a lot of equipment that was out there, like, you know, picking uh, fruit and prunes and things off of bushes and trees. And he modified that somehow to um, make, you know, be, become the tater tot. And so we were, and he lived in Burley and he ran the Burley, he was president of the Burley plant. And so we would go back and forth to Burley. And I got really close with a, a, a first cousin, uh, a, a son of uh, Otis, Mischief. They would send us down into the spud cellars. You know, the potatoes keep very well if you keep them cooled. And they had these football-length spud cellars that were below ground and full of potatoes. And they had air ducts that would come down. They would draw air in and cool the potatoes from underneath. Hmm. But as you cleared out a spud cellar, they'd be full of mud. And so they would pay us exorbitant fees <laughs> to go down there and pound out the the mud from those uh, ventilation holes. But other than that, I never really uh, worked uh, as an all right employee. Huh. Too young. Um, too y That's right. We're not, we're, we're, um, we're not old. <laughs> no, not now. No, <laughs> if right. I was born oh. in 52. Oh yeah. You're just well, babies. You couldn't really work. No, so. I mean, tater tots were born in 53 and I was born in 54. <laughs> and, and by the time that, you know, in 65, when they sold it, I was what? 11. I was 11, but I, I sure enjoyed uh, the benefits of, of being there. I, uh, I have a clear memory in my mind of my dad taking us out. He, again, this whole sense of community, he would go out into the production lines of the french fries and just be seen he would go out there and he knew the people's first names and you know how's it going and just just to, to keep in touch and he would reach up he kept a salt shaker in his in his jacket pocket and we'd go out there and he would scoop up great big hands of french fries as they were coming off the cooling line and put salt on them and i'll tell you what that is there's nothing like that Nothing at all like that, and so that's that's a a memory of the plant. So back I would on task your question about our yeah. legacy. Um, I just uh, I, I grew up with this legacy, and throughout my business career, I would go to I'd use that to try to connect to farmers. You know, socially, I go out to farmers and they say, "Yeah, the reason you ought to do business with me as a stockbroker is because my family invented the tater tot." I never went anywhere, but just as, as time has come on, and, and the other thing that I think is driving this legacy issue is um, one of the things that we do very prolifically, and I don't know, I don't, I wouldn't say it's it's this strictly LDS culture, but it's big in LDS culture, and that's family history, family history, family uh, legacies, family reunions, big part of our culture. And um, as time has grown on, I have had um, just a number of events happen. I think uh, in 2018, like I say, I got a call from CBS Sunday Morning Magazine one day, and they wanted some help to figure out how to get enough history to produce a 20-minute segment on the tater tot, and they wanted our help to help them with some sigma. So I got a hold of Steve, and I got a hold of uh, Gary Grigg, that's Golden's oldest son, and Steve's sister got involved, and we put together a package of information that went to CBS, and they produced this segment. Well, Steve and I, we kind of both were on the same wavelength, and between 2018 and 2020, 
we both decided that something had to be done with that holy board. It was an injustice to the, the story of the tater tot, to the, the success story, to have this holy board secreted in a private place where nobody could ever see it. And that's kind of been our, uh, our mantra for the last two years. And then in January of 2022, Heinz decided to sell the plant to GR Simplot Corporation. And um, uh, about six months after that, I got this idea, I'm going to contact GR Simplot and just try to get something done about the holy board. So I wrote a letter to them and uh, they got back to me. And that has kind of been the catalyst, if we will, to bring us where we are today for the last three months. We've been on this mission to to uh, work with J.R. Simplot, have their permission, permission of Heinz Corporation, to see what we can do to uh, carry on this story, carry on this legacy, so that it gets uh, the proper attention. Yeah, well, well I... Excuse me. Ultimately, okay. I, I would like to see the the uh, because the foundation's in its in infancy. Um, I would like to see it somehow, you know, give back uh, mm -hmm. from the legacy because I won't always be here, and Les won't always be here. Um, so there is that uh, you know wanting to carry it forward past this sort of. Um, uh, what's the word? Uh, range of uh, uh, remembrance, because uh, my children are now going to be, you know, another generation removed, and I want to make sure that they know the story. In fact, I read a story on the internet um, that that said that tater tots were an accident, you know, from a mm -hmm. from a, a, a mess up on the production line, and I. Uh, I wrote a very nice letter to the uh, the author of the article, as, you know, pointing out the correction, uh, the, the 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 correct story of the tater tot. They were they were excited. They were excited to have the correct story, and so that's the kind of thing. Um, even though it seems self-serving, there is a side of the foundation that wants to keep the story, you know, straight and, and pure. Sure. I mean, that's understandable um, <clears throat> to me because if with that Seattle thing, you know, how did that start? Where did it start? How many people think that it it started in Seattle? Uh, so I would see exactly why the Grig Foundation is going to want to set the record straight and and keep the story in line with what it, what are facts and instead well, of it being a mistake. No. This is yeah, how Chuck, we... we do. You're our uh, you're our number one evangelist. Now you can, when anybody asks you, where did tater tots come from? You can say, ah, well, it wasn't Seattle. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking a step further. I'm thinking for the advertising marketing guy here, you need to put uh, a little history blurb on napkins. So at restaurants, when they order the tater tots, the look go, oh, all right. Uh, I get it. Because I bet you... I'll bet you fifty percent of the population really don't know or Ida, Oregon, <laughs> Idaho, and they when they're looking at the logo, they don't realize it's Oregon, Idaho. You know, I I don't know, but I I do know that the the word this is something else that we're dealing with not only not only Les and I, but also back to Kraft Heinz and Simplot is that tater tots has become a household term. You know, if you like, right? Uh, 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 Kleenex, tissues, yeah. Kleenex, hand me a Kleenex. Let's eat tater tots. So um, there's no way we can really, there's nothing we can do about that. Yeah. And <clears throat> in a certain aspect, Les and I have resigned ourselves that any reference to tater tots is, is you know, that's good PR. No bad PR. Tater tots is tater tots. But any way we can help people understand that Orida was the original tater tot mm -hmm. um, you know we think that's in our best interest and we like I go to um, uh, I ride a motorcycle from Utah to South Dakota for the Sturgis uh, Black Hills rally right. and I know all the I know all the restaurants along the way that serve tater tots 
and when I go to these, <laughs> when I go to them, I've asked. I haven't always been granted access, but I said, "Can I, uh, can I see the box these came in?" And I want to see if it said Orida. Uh But they usually don't let me back there, and so um, who knows? They could be, you know, Simplot produces Tater Gems, but uh, nobody can p- produce Orida Tater Tots. I'll tell you one thing, the best tater tots around in my area come from this vegan restaurant called <laughs> um, Bayside Grill in Everett, Washington. And there's a shout out to those guys. They somehow they make it the best, very crispy. So this is going to lead me to ask, Steve, Les, if you went to a restaurant and you ordered tots, tater tots, and they said, oh, by the way, we had to substitute. We don't have Orida. <laughs> Thumbs down for Steve. No. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be I've, willing to I've, give it a try. I've uh, succumbed to it in the past. I've just had them because I like them, and I didn't, I didn't, uh, I wasn't that committed to the brand, but uh, <laughs> well, I still gets, think it's the best brand. I guess two thumbs down from me, then. <laughs> you, you know what? There is something about the Orida, the, the brand. It seems like it comes out. Either I don't know I can't say crispier or the just the the, the way the things are cut the, all the pieces are fitting together the form yeah. that there's something different about it because I've tried some of these other brands and maybe it's a mental thing but it's always I always come back to to that brand Orida and but where there are a started. few there are a few uh, a few businesses around town that serve some version of tater tots but I won't go there to eat them because they're they're just not good. <laughs> well, well, right. <laughs> it, it depends on how you prepare them. Okay. Uh, Chuck, you mentioned the crispiness. The best way, of course, back then, all there was was deep frying. Mm-hmm. And I think the best tots are deep fried. Now, that's, it's not the healthiest, but it's how they first came about. And I think that, that crispiness, that crunch is what whole, is... Uh, is what makes them, you know, uh, a, a great tater tot. I mean, even yeah. were I to ta- tater tots in the oven, unless you cook them at a real high temperature and, and uh, crisp them up, um, they they, they got to be crispy. All right. So here's a question for you, both of you. What do you think about using it in an air fryer? <laughs> oh, it, I love an air fryer. Me air too. Air fryer, good. Uh-huh. It, it I love works. air fryers. Yeah, yes, it works. It does. Takes a little yeah. experimenting, but you can you can get a good, uh, a little bit healthier if in, in an air fryer. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. In fact, I, I'm not kidding. So before I came out to sit down and uh, speak with you gentlemen, I opened my freezer to make sure I had some in there. I did. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll send you some coupons. <laughs> Careful, you're on air. <laughs> So they're they're sitting alongside of my onion rings in there. So, but they're a different brand, <laughs> and that's okay. Well, here, so here's the thing, you know, anybody can make French fries. Anybody can make onion rings, hash browns, yeah. all those things. But only Orida has, you know, came up with the tater tot. So it was a an ingenious new food. Uh, yeah. I think J.R. Simplot is interested in that. It's a formed food. You know, it's a food that is formed and then sold that way. It's not something, unless you're crazy like Les and you try to make your own tater tots. <laughs> it's, it's it's not a, uh, you know, it's it's difficult to make. I, I've seen a lot of videos. People have come up with some ingenious ways of trying to make little cylinders. But I tell you, those tater tots are are uh, are unique and uh, and special. Yeah, you put it really good at the very beginning when you said that uh, coming up with a finger food. So that, it's a perfect finger food. Same way with the little pocket pizza things or whatever, those tiny pizzas, pizza rolls. Oh, pizza rolls. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a little but again, food. anybody can make a pizza roll. <laughs> but you know what? They they really could. And you're right. It. Who's going to sit here and want to chop up a, a, a perfectly good potato or french fry and then try to form their own <laughs> tater tot less you can do that yeah <laughs> not me uh so do you you have kids you have grandkids right now 
I do, yes. Less than yeah, grandkids? Thirteen. So, how many? Thirteen. <laughs> thirteen years old or thirteen? Thirteen grandchildren. Ooh. I, I had to get that clear because if you said thirteen, I'm going, no, it can't be thirteen. <laughs> but, but then less, like, or Steve, like you said, you came from a family of eight. So well, so um, I, I myself only have uh, I only have thirteen grandkids as well. But you think about um, my parents, Nephi and Addie, they came up. They had uh, forty nine grandkids and, and twice that many great grandkids. My wow. old, my oldest sister, who just passed away this year, oh. had well over a hundred grandkids. She had nine kids. So anyway. Um, that family culture, I think, was very much a part of Orida, that, mm -hmm. that close-knit thing, like you mentioned before, Chuck. It, yeah, uh, Les, I wanted to ask you, it, it, with your grandkids, um, even your kids, is this something mm -hmm. that's important that they talk to you about and say, you know, yes, you know dad, I, grandpa, you know, tell me about the history? Yeah. One of the things I've just started is a grandchild of the month program so I can connect with my grandchildren. And uh, my oldest grandson has helped me design a web page for that uh, project. It's called Grandchild of the Month. And so we are uh, using this legacy as part of that story. And uh, we've, we've created a, a website called thegregtatertot.org. And I'm going to use that to help carry the legacy on with my grandchildren. Mm. You know, forget about the family tree. There's going to be a family potato field, and you just can potato heads <laughs> and names. <laughs> that's that's what I see. <laughs> uh, from either one of you, is there anything that the general public, general populace, can do to help? Um, perpetuate this or to help you further along with this journey that uh, that you're on less and and you Steve as well we're working on a website to uh, for the foundation um, we do have a uh, uh, a domain secured it's a it's a gregtatertot.com and uh, I've been working this last week with um, trying to find an avenue to where we can design a website mm. and get that going. And so that's a work in progress. You'd, you'd think I would do that. But... Family. Ah, there's sometimes there's no good for nothing. I, I'm old school. Websites <laughs> scare me. <laughs> yeah. Gentlemen, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And I, I have learned a few new things about, about the brand, uh, about the legacy which is brought more interest to me actually to really personally read up about it. So, and I'll be reaching out to you for some stock and financial advice later. And, uh, whenever <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be rebranding, so I'm going to hit Steve up. There you go. <laughs> oh, and I'm glad to pay you with some shares of stock, <laughs> but not in perpetuity. But, you know, my, uh, uh uh, one story that, that you might be interested in, Chuck, is yeah. is how tater tot got tater tots got outside the the region. Yes. So so in my so there's an annual list. Did we ever decide what the the? We don't know if it was a food distributor or a potato convention in Miami. It's one of the two. Anyway, so my uh, you know they wanted exposure cross-country and so my dad packed up 15 pounds of tater tots in dry ice in a mm -hmm. suitcase you could do that back then in a suitcase got on a plane flew to Miami where this uh, conference was taking place and with the help of a crisp $100 bill he got his uh, he got he made his way into the chef and so uh, people got to eat and so he arranged for those tater tots to be cooked up and during their lunch break, or maybe it was a breakfast break, I can't remember. It was a it was a food break. He arranged to have little plates of tater tots put on the tables of all you know th throughout the the cafeteria area. Now, you can imagine, no one had ever seen those before, never even heard of them. Yeah. And, you know, my dad liked to make funny phrases, and he said those are gobbled up faster than a 
dead cat could wag its tail. <laughs> Which I don't know what that means. Yeah. But it's quoted in the annals of history. That's what he that's what he uh, that's what he said. But you know, that got tater tots or right a tater tots cross country in a kind of memorable way. Wow. That that's pretty amazing. So yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you put that in there. Um <laughs> gee, I, I'm sorry. I'm just thinking back to about your your dad carrying the the salt in his pocket and everything, walking through the plant. I was thinking, you know, Heinz is a perfect marriage because I can see now you got the little packets of ketchup with you as well. <laughs> <laughs> I made a tater tot outfit. There's a uh, there's a uh, they've started a, a tater tot festival in Ontario. <laughs> Uh, they had the second annual last year, and I so I made up a tater tot costume, and um, before I went to this uh, this uh, tater tot festival, I, uh, I was uh, at my work. There was a Halloween costume party, and I dressed up as a tater tot. <laughs> Instead of handing out candy, I handed out packets of ketchup. <laughs> Are you kidding? I really, I really, I'm not kidding. You. I really did. The company was really big on uh, on uh, Halloween, and uh, nobody knew what to make of me. <laughs> uh, again, Les and Steve, I've really enjoyed this. This has been great, and um, thank you very much for your time. And Thanks like I said, invite. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I'm really going to read more about about your family uh, and about tater tots and about Orida. So you've done well, your we, job. Thank you. We're, we're doing our best to get the, the truth out there. The truth is out there, as the movie says. Anyhow, that's it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this podcast because I certainly did. I mean, I learned a lot from both Steve and Leslie about Orida and about tater tots. So a special thanks one more time to Steve and Leslie. And thanks to all of you for continuing to come back and support this channel. Because without you, it really would not be going anywhere. So please remember to like, comment, and share this and all the podcasts. It really does help with whatever those algorithms are out there, which allow more people to find this channel. And remember, this is amazing people amazing things. So if you have a story to tell, or if you want somebody to share, or if you know somebody that has something to talk about, please reach out and let me know. But until next time, when you go into that restaurant and they give you the option between fries and tots, what are you going to get? Tots. Have a great day. Bye-bye.